1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fees, 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. America faces a choice. This is Battleground America. Here's Tara Servatius.
2: It's hard to believe now, but as recently as two years ago, the leftist media was obsessed with the rise of Nazism in Ukraine. Now, you can't even speak of it. You might even lose your account if you tell the truth about it. But two years ago, everyone was writing about it. From the nation to USA Today to Reuters. Pull those threads and keep going. And the mystery of why Vladimir Putin is raging through Ukraine seemingly for no reason out of the clear blue will begin to clear up for you and the whole thing will begin to make sense. You'll understand the barely checked rage in Putin's voice when he speaks about Ukraine. It seems random, crazy, but without the history, the media is determined to bury a history of Nazism threaded throughout the politics of Ukraine. A history that's in the U.S. media's own archives from as recently as two years ago when everybody was writing about it. With that Nazi history in Ukraine censored and those who try to bring it up canceled on social media, nothing going on in Russia right now makes sense. What if Vladimir Putin isn't lying? What if he is fighting Nazis? What if those Nazis partnered... Threaded throughout, inseparable from the Ukraine government, committed brutal, bloody atrocities for years on the population of Western Ukraine. Human rights violations, outright murder. What if the Ukraine government, which we're told was so loving and democratic, actually wasn't? What if it was actually genocidal to half the country? None of this, of course, would excuse Putin's bloody invasion of Ukraine. That's not the point of this podcast. The point is to ask the question, why was Nazification on the rise in Ukraine? And what was our role in it? The answer to that is jaw-dropping. How did Ukraine reach the point where an openly Nazi, co-founder of the fascist Socialist National Party of Ukraine, an openly neo-Nazi group, how did a guy like that, whose name is Andre Perubi, wind up as the chairman of the Ukrainian parliament from April 2016 to 2019? Wait a minute. Ukraine had Nazis running its parliament? Uh-huh. It was a huge problem. And the media was all over it until recently. Like I said, pull this thread and start going back. Back when the left wing media was telling the truth about Nazification in Ukraine, was horrified by it, and was even telling the truth about who backed it. That'd be our government for years, in particular the Obama administration. Now do I have your attention? One of the best sources on this, because I know I'm asking you to believe a lot of things, is this article in The Nation. It's called Neo-Nazis and the Far Right are on the March in Ukraine. It was written in February of 2019. What I like about it is it has so many links that you can follow. USA Today articles, articles of the World Jewish Congress and the Simon Wiesenthal Center, raising alarm about the leadership in Ukraine and how neo-Nazism had taken hold there. How Vladimir Putin isn't lying when he says he's fighting Nazis. But again, the purpose of this podcast isn't to justify or not to justify Putin's invasion. It's to understand how those Nazis came to have power. It wasn't by themselves. We put them there. By the end of this podcast, hopefully you'll be able to see that to a shocking extent, virtually everything right now on your TV, especially if you're watching Fox News, is a total lie. It's a lie of omission. They've left out so much of the story as to make what's going on in Ukraine unrecognizable compared to what's actually going on in the ground and what's gone on there since 2014. The first sign that something was very wrong came from Facebook, which previously had barred any positive writing about the Azov battalion. They're openly neo-Nazi and were absorbed into the Ukrainian National Guard. Before, you couldn't show their pictures because they had Nazi insignia. You couldn't praise them or advocate for them anyway, But Facebook, now called Meta, changed the rules just for the Ukraine conflict. Now you can praise Azov, even though they're Nazis. The second sign that something was really, really wrong was the sudden disappearance and banning of Oliver Stone's documentary Ukraine on Fire. He's a liberal filmmaker. And like all the liberal publications I just referenced from The Nation to USA Today to, yes, even Reuters. Folks, this is what... Reuters was writing as recently as 2018 Reuters is as mainstream media as you can get headline March 19 2018 you can still pull it up it's online Ukraine's neo-Nazi problem they now all deny there's neo-Nazi anything in Ukraine but pull those articles up read them they'll shock you then start pulling the threads I did I started asking why liberal filmmaker Oliver Stone's documentary on Ukraine was pulled from YouTube. Was done in 2016. No one cared if you watched it up till a few weeks ago. Now it's gone. You have to go to Rumble to watch it. Why? Because he documented in shocking and exhaustive detail how the neocons George W. Bush, Joe Biden, Barack Obama funded and aided the rise of militant Nazis through coups and the build up to a coup which really started in 20 2004 and went to 2014 and then used them as bloody street shock troops to literally physically eject the elected president of ukraine in 2014 wait a minute they used neo-nazi shock troops to do that uh-huh and things went downhill from there they even tried to assassinate that president as he drove away why because he supported peace With the Russian government. Do I have your attention now? But let's go back to the beginning. To understand what's going on right now. Between Russia and the country we now call Ukraine. You got to go back to the 1700s. The people we now call Russians. Have been killing the people we now call Ukrainians. For all that time. They've been fighting each other. And so many atrocities on both sides along the way. You can't even keep it straight anymore. Over who controls that area. This is not new. It didn't start eight weeks ago. But Ukraine is different from just about every other country in the European area for one reason. And it was the reason that Reuters and USA Today and The Nation and all those liberal publications were so worried about back when they were openly speaking about it. Ukraine was the only nation where Nazism never died, where it continued to thrive alive and well and openly socially accepted after World War II. If you watched Oliver Stone's documentary, and I did twice, and then went and exhaustively pulled all his sources, and then looked for others, you would understand this. Ukraine is essentially frozen in time. So is Russia. They're still fighting World War II. Let's start with the biggest lie. The illusion that it's the Ukraine people versus Russia. Not true. Never has been. Ukraine is basically two countries. The western part, which is Ukrainian and ethnically different from the eastern part and the southern part, which is ethnically Russian and Russian-speaking. If the two parts are continually forced to be one country, they'll just continue killing each other, as they have for hundreds of years. I laughed when members of Congress from both parties patted themselves on the back for all the guns and munitions they're sending to Ukraine. They're just as likely to be used by eastern Ukrainians against western Ukrainians as they are, To be used by any Ukrainians against Russia. But they won't tell you that. But let's go back to World War II. When there was fierce fighting between the Russians and the actual German Nazis in the western part of Ukraine. Russia and the western part of Ukraine were at loggerheads then. As they are today. And so when the German Nazis arrived in western Ukraine, they were greeted as liberators. Nazism spread rampantly throughout western Ukraine during World War II. Because of the alliance between the Nazis and the Ukrainian fighters against Russia. Eventually, Ukrainian fighters who adopted national socialism and, well, Nazism, anti-Semitism. The idea of one pure white race making its home in Ukraine cleansed of anything else. Those ideas, very popular. The Nazis themselves were. Became less popular, though, and the Ukrainian fighters united and ejected them from western Ukraine. They then were miraculously able to eject the Russians. The Ukrainians had great reason to hate the Soviets. They'd murdered millions of them during the Holodor. A. Government-created starvation in Ukraine and other parts of the USSR.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your grocery.
3: Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
2: That went down 1932 through 1933. Like I said, nobody's got clean hands here. That's why when the Nazis arrived, the Ukrainians were so enthused, they adopted their world philosophy. The results were catastrophic for native Poles and Jews in the area. The Ukrainian-led OUN, Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, would partner with the Nazis to kill 150,000 to 200,000 Jews, Russians, gypsies, and political dissidents before they kicked the Nazis out. They did this under the leadership of Stefan Bandera. We'll be talking about him more later. He's still very popular in Ukraine. In 1943 and 44, in two days, they killed 35,000 Polish people and Jews. So Western Ukraine under Soviet Russia, the Nazis, and then Under Bandera and the Ukrainian-led OUN was a scene of absolute mass murder that scars it today. For its size, it's one of the most genocidal regions on Earth. And the two sides today still hate each other. The idea of united Ukraine fighting behind the Zelensky guy, who's a television actor. The idea that the billions of dollars of weapons that Congress is giving these people will be used to buy weapons they'll turn on the Russians. (laughs) laughable just as likely they'll turn them on each other they've killed each other for so long the bloodlust is so deep it'll never end the united democratic ukraine portrayed from your television set doesn't exist here's why everywhere else on earth nazism became a thing of shame but not in ukraine because our cia protected ukraine's mass murdering nazis in the east because they were useful to us during the Cold War. Oliver Stone's documentary has the best, most concise summary of this that I've found.
3: The Nuremberg trials of 1945 and 1946 brought the political, economic, and military leaders of fascist Germany to justice and revealed to the world the monstrous face of Nazism and the crimes they committed. But the Ukrainian Nazis were spared the same fate and some were even granted indulgences by the CIA. By 1954, the agency excused the illegal activities of the OUN security branch in the name of Cold War necessity. In 1949, Mykola Lebed, The man responsible for the massacres in Volinia was moved to the United States where he died in 1989 without ever being investigated or pursued as a war criminal. The CIA moved to protect Ukrainian nationalist leader Mykola Lebed from criminal investigation by the Immigration and Naturalization Service in 1952.
2: All of this is easily verifiable. It's almost even understandable. As horrific as Nazis were... The CIA, as it explained in its own memos, had to pick the lesser of two evils. We were in the middle of the Cold War. The question, though, is what's our excuse now? Because these factions were useful to the CIA and useful to the neocon political class, both Republican and Democrat in the United States, they were funded, grotesquely funded, kept alive, with some of the subscribers to this neo-Nazism having their own parties and their own militias. The ramp up in this by the CIA using old ties from the Cold War began again under George W. Bush. The funding, the political protection, kept the Nazism alive. Also, we could control the most wanted piece of real estate in Europe, right next door to Russia, and antagonize them. Long after the Cold War gave us any justifiable reason to do it. That funding and political protection kept these ideologies alive.
3: It would be fair to say that Bondera became a major symbol of Ukrainian nationalism by sheer chance, for he was neither its only leader, nor its most powerful one. Bondera's dangerous ideology, suppressed by the communist authorities, but supported by external forces, never really died. The seeds of Ukrainian nationalism were passed from generation to generation. Unfortunately, it was just a matter of time before they would once again blossom.
2: Exactly how blossomed are we talking? 30 years ago, we began fixing their elections in Ukraine, backing those we'd long built ties with, the Nazis. You just heard about Stefan Bandera, who, under his leadership of the OUN, killed 180,000 people. So, it's kind of shocking in 2004 to watch our man, Bush's man, who we installed in office in Ukraine. Viktor Yushenko, decree that Stefan Bond- Bondera was a hero of Ukraine. It was an official decree. Then look up Viktor Yushchenko. Want a shock? Look him up. You'll see Washington luminaries from McCain to George W. Bush smiling and grinning at his side. You'll see him on the floor of Congress. He's a Nazi. Imagine you had Politician X in the United States of America. And imagine Politician X decided to honor Adolf Eichmann, Adolf Hitler, with a decree that they sponsored, signed themselves. Would you call that person a Nazi? That's what Viktor Yushchenko was. And we backed him. We welcomed him to Washington. We gave him head of state visits. Under Bush, they were happy just to fix the elections. Don't kid yourself. Russia's not innocent here. They were fixing them on the other side. And since the country's pretty well divided between ethnically Russian Russian speakers, the country tilted back and forth over the 30 years of its existence between people Russia managed to install in in tight elections to people we managed to install in tight elections, with a lot of ballot stuffing in between. Things wouldn't turn violent, though, until the Obama administration came into office. George Bush's Nazi, Viktor Yushenko was so corrupt, he was thrown out of office. You remember the guy who honored the mass murderer, Stefan Bondera An ethnically Russian, Viktor Yanukovych, a Russian sympathizer, obviously, took office. Obama's administration decided that couldn't stand. And they pumped an ungodly sum of $5 billion alongside George Soros into Ukraine to install their Nazis back into power. Enter Victoria Nuland, the ultimate Uniparty neocon. She was George W. Bush's NATO ambassador and Barack Obama's spokesperson for the State Department. Then promoted by Barack Obama to Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs. What makes this woman so valuable to Uniparty? Her connections with the Nazis and her ability to grow them into shock troops That look a lot like Antifa on the street and use exactly the same tactics. The State Department partnered with the CIA in this, and they turned things violent in Ukraine by infusing five billion dollars into that country. Here's Victoria talking about that. We've invested over $5 billion to assist Ukraine in these and other goals that will ensure a secure and prosperous and democratic Ukraine. On the social side, Democrat fundraiser George Soros would pump over $200 million into Ukraine, backing a lot of the same groups. Remember, Soros himself was a Nazi. Though also Jewish, he would volunteer to help the Nazis find Jews and their valuables. He'd uncover tens of thousands of dollars worth of valuables for the Nazis. He'd later tell 60 Minutes he didn't regret it. His philosophy, for most of his life, has been almost identical to theirs, albeit not anti-Jewish. The CIA, the State Department, and Soros would fund street protests. That look an awful lot like what happened during the Summer of Love in the U.S., after George Floyd was killed, along with actors that looked just like the Antifa goons that burnt so many businesses to the ground and terrorized cities. Initially, the protests were filled with peace-loving people, parents who brought their kids. But after a while, it was mostly violent neo-Nazi groups like Trident and Right Sector and UDER, the Azov Brigades. And the fatherland movement. They'd violently throw Viktor Yanukovych out of office. As he fled for his life to Russia. He was Russian oriented. One of his first things that he did in office was to strip the mass murderer, Stefan Bandera of his hero title. Ukraine wouldn't honor Nazis anymore, he said. But Washington put a stop to it. And Yanukovych fled for his life. They even tried to assassinate him as he drove away this is the democracy washington now says it wants to protect maybe even get into world war three with russia over but one thing's for sure the war you're watching now didn't start eight weeks ago it started with a coup i just described in 2014 and wait till you hear what they did next that'll be tomorrow's podcast